Hi, this is Daniel James, and this is the podcast of Triple R's The Mission, a weekly radio show exploring the issues that impact the lives of Aboriginal people and those at the wrong end of social justice in this country. The Mission is broadcast live on Triple R each Tuesday evening. Hope you enjoy the podcast and feel free to get in touch via the Triple R website. Good evening. Welcome to episode 00008 of The Mission. My name is Daniel James and I'll be your host this evening. I would like to, of course, start off by acknowledging the traditional custodians on the land from which I'm broadcasting and as the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation. And I pay my respects to their elders, past, present and emerging. So um, thank you very much to Nick for another excellent uh, episode of uh, Double Bounce. He's doing an excellent job. He'll be back next week. He's a, he's a good lad. He enjoyed the football on Sunday. So And didn't we all? Didn't we all? Anyway, so this program, uh, The Mission, is a show that explores issues in and around what it means to be Aboriginal in this country. But we also aim to explore issues that affect people from all backgrounds that uh, are on the wrong side of the... Uh, social justice arc in our cities and towns in this, in this country of ours. So to do that, we speak to people that are experts in their field, academics, writers, people with lived experience, leaders, musicians, artists, filmmakers, etc., etc., etc. And it's a filmmaker, leader and playwright and musician that uh, will be our first guest uh, on the show this evening, it will be uh, Gundi Jeremara man, Richard Franklin, who will join us shortly to talk about uh, a couple of things. He'll be appearing in conversation at the St Kilda Film Festival tomorrow night to talk about his film career and uh, this year's NADOC theme, Voice, Treaty, Truth. So we'll talk about that and the treaty process here in Victoria more specifically because uh, we've got him here first, just uh, for you and for me. So that's pretty cool. And later on in the hour, we'll yarn with Mooning Elder Uncle Banalori, who um, some of you may know was also the uh, one of the founding members and lead singers of uh, the classic band uh, Coloured Stone. So we'll be yarning to him about um, Norwegian uh, oil company Equinor's plans to drill in the Great Australian Bight and his campaign against the, that particular project. If um, all goes to plan, Uncle will also uh, play us a tune as well. So what do you reckon? Worth sticking around for? I reckon. Uh, the best way to uh, contact me is via Twitter. My handle is at Mr. DT James, M-R-D-T James. So uh, let's get the show on the road. This is the mission. Now, our first guest tonight uh, has been a man that has led and continues to lead a very busy life. He's a prolific filmmaker, playwright and singer-songwriter. He comes from the, uh, the mighty Gundi Jamara, fierce Gundi Jamara, who are the traditional custodians of what now encompasses Warrnambool, Port Ferry, Portland, down that way in the southwest of what is now known as Victoria. He will be in conversation tomorrow evening as part of the Sakilda Film Festival. He'll be yarning with the wonderful uh, Lisa Mazza. Um, he'll be talking about his distinguished film career. You've probably seen some of his work. Uh, Who Killed Malcolm Smith, No Way to Forget, After Marbo, Harry's War, my personal favourite, uh, Stone Brothers, to name just a few. 
And uh, Richard actually has a new film project uh, in the works, Conversations with the Dead, which is um, adapted from his 2002 written and directed award-winning play of the same name about Aboriginal deaths in custody. Uh, The play itself was actually listed as one of the 200 greatest literary works of all time by the Society of Australian Authors. So uh, he's he's done all right. And um, we're honoured to have Richard on the line with us now. Um, Richard, welcome to the mission. Well, thank you very much. No worries. Um, Where do you find the time and energy to output all these creative forces? Oh, bloody hell. It's... uh... I guess I was, uh, became a filmmaker by accident, really, So and a playwright. It was, um, I just seen people doing it, and I thought I'd better have a crack at it, really. Um, and back when I started, there were, um, wasn't a lot of gateways for First Nation mob to do stuff, so mm. I sort of, it became a passion, and um, I, I love hearing the stories of my mob and of all people actually um, and I thought it'd be good to tell a few and those stories were largely hidden by the popular press so it became a bit of a journey time um, well sometimes you write a song and sometimes the song writes you so. yeah yeah when you uh, do the old Paul McCartney you wake up and you got yesterday fully formed in your head that's right yeah. <laughs> Your work never shies away from um, tackling some of the most confronting issues that, uh, you know, face our community, whether it be deaths in custody, land rights, domestic violence, the treatment of Aboriginal soldiers both uh, in the front line and on their return. Why are these stories so important? I think um, the cultural tapestry of this nation is pretty much a dominant culture, uh, cultural tapestry. And if you look at Parliament, um, you mainly see middle-aged, Anglo, uh, wealthy and privileged men running the nation. Mm. And I think we need to change that singular story. I think there's lots of other stories. For for instance, um, the stories of the battles that uh, First Nation people have fought physically um, over the years and... Then there's the stories of people without voice. So I think that changing the cultural tapestry of a nation can be done through the arts. Um, And I think we need to speak up about our most vulnerable people. Um, And our most vulnerable people um, aren't just First Nations Australian. There's many vulnerable people many voice uh, people who have a voice that isn't being heard and we need to pick up those issues and run with them yeah there's um there's a rich history in you know the aboriginal social justice movement that um has always shown that um not only are we fighting for our own causes but when we see other causes that need to be addressed we're more than willing to you know lend those people a hand as well and help give them a voice that's right. I mean, William Cooper is a great example of that. Uh, when he stood up for uh, Jewish people in the 30s, um, and he was a lone voice. Yeah. Um, when Hitler was um, uh, launching a, a, an attack on Jewish people, he stood up yeah. and did, did a fantastic job. 
And we, we need more people doing that, not just First Nation people. So, you know, I think when you've got art, you've got voice. And when you've got voice, you've got freedom. And with freedom comes responsibility. And it's our obligation as artists to tell these stories, to facilitate the voice of those who are oppressed, to facilitate the voice of those who've been marginalised. Um, whether it's uh, visual arts, whether it's um, uh, creative storytelling, all, all of these things are vital. And what will, what will happen and what is happening, we see that the nation's changing because of art. Um, again, if we look at what Lawson did and what Patterson did, they actually didn't write about First Nation people. Uh, so they represented a, a story about the Australian bushmen and women who were Anglo. They didn't talk about other cultures. And while their stories are, in many ways, you know, very entertaining, they wrote us out of history. Our job as artists is to write people back into history to write people into the present and to help our nation, all Australians, visualise a future that's based on the great strength of diversity. Do you think that... Um, you think people realise the... actually realise the power of the arts to enact change? Do you think people are conscious of it? I think they are. I, I, I think um, we look at the way the... Um, multinational companies, companies like Coca-Cola, drink Coke and you're all pretty, uh, it's simply not the case. Um, so we're actually, we're actually seduced by this mass marketing again and again and again in a whole myriad of ways. Um, I think people are aware of it. Um, they turn, uh, change the channel when Coke ads come on, they turn off, but it's there in the subconscious. Um, yeah, I think people are aware of it, but I don't think they're aware. I, I don't. I think many are aware, but some aren't of the power that art has generally. But if you walk around the streets now, uh, quite often you'll see the First Nations flag uh, flying. Quite often you'll see First Nations art, and I, I still remember the first time I'd seen a, a non-Aboriginal person where a First Nation T-shirt. It's a double take, uh, isn't it? Oh, yeah, it freaked me out. <laughs> um, so I, I think people are aware. I think people make statements like that, and I think it's really exciting. Um, yeah. It's uh, 18... I'm, I'm really looking forward to um, seeing the national anthem change, and yes. uh, I, I live with the hope that it'll have uh, First Nation language in it. Are you going to write it? Oh, yeah. I'll, I'll bloody write it if they want, but I think there's a lot greater writers out there uh, than me. Uh, what will be exciting, uh, what I find exciting now is uh, seeing um, the other day down home at Portland, uh, there was some local dancers and a young man, uh, Troy, Troy Lovett, he yep. jumped up and danced and uh, he had some other dancers with him and he invited all these uh, first uh, non-Aboriginal people up onto the stage. And they swarmed it. They swarmed the stage. And it was exciting to see these non-Aboriginal people sharing a First Nations dance. Um, and it really made a statement to me uh, where this nation can go if we have the courage. 
And I believe we have the courage. I think it just needs to be peeled back a bit. And that's the power of art. You know, all these kids dancing and calling out in language and it, uh, it took my breath away. You, you couldn't even really imagine that happening, you know, five years, years ago, let alone ten years ago. I think... Um, I think we're at a really, you know, a tipping point where where the nation is really now prepared to embrace, you know, First Nations culture. Oh, and it, it, it does leave me breathless um, and with excitement. Uh, the potential's there. Um, I see pe- people picking it up all the time. People want to um, embrace the um, a new identity. They want to explore what it could be and why. Um, why they want to do that is because they realise that we've had such a monocultural perspective on our past and on our present, um, but we're overwhelmed in such a beautiful way with so many rich cultures coming here, and those cultures are asking, where's the First Nation culture? Yeah. Um, people want to stabilise their identity, but first they want to discover it. It's 20 past seven. You're listening to the Triple R 102.7 FM. I'm listening to, oh, I'm speaking and listening to uh, Richard Franklin, who will be um, appearing at uh, the St Kilda Film Festival tomorrow, mi- tomorrow night at um, St Kilda Town Hall in conversation with um, uh, Lisa Mazza. He, he will be um, there for over an hour and he'll be talking um, about some of his films and there'll be excerpts played of those films. And so if you want to find out about this man's work, get down there. Um, now, just to switch to, to NADOC for a bit, Richard, um, this year's NADOC theme is Voice, Treaty, Truth. So um, I want to focus on the, the treaty part of the uh, equation. How do, how do you think the treaty process is going so far? Um, I, I think it's going wonderful. I, I was involved in the very early parts, yeah. um, and I went out to lots of communities, um, and people were naturally um, hopeful in such a gentle way, and there were lots of different voices about the treaty, uh, the potential for treaty, and people were uh, because so many promises have been to made us made to us as a people. Um, and there have been so many betrayals by various governments over the years. So we're the last country, last Commonwealth country to venture down this path, yeah. which says a lot about who we are. What's exciting, though, is we put in place an election process. But people, we've got a democratic process to vote people onto a body uh, which will build a framework uh, for a process towards people being able to um, navigate a treaty. Now, it may be many treaties, it may be one treaty, it could be both. Um, and this is very exciting because Victoria is the first place to do it. Yeah. Yeah, at this level. And... The rest of the country's got their ears up. Some are beginning that journey already. South Australia had a crack. Uh, they're going to have another crack, I believe. Yeah, uh, I think the, um, the, the, the government over there sort of wigged out of it, didn't they? That's right. But these are only... These, ones, these governments that are, that are uh, hedging away from this or ignoring it, we have to remember they're only the government of the day. That's right. They're only here 
for their election, uh, the process, the time that they're elected into. Now, a treaty and treaties will come. Justice will come. Equity and justice for First Nation people will come. It's inevitable. And history will look on those that walked away um, from a treaty process, from this equity, from this type of justice. History will judge them harshly. Now, that's their choice at this point in time. But in the future, it won't be their choice. The fact is, Victoria, we're making headroads. We're having a good crack at it. We've got some great candidates that have put their hand up, and we're going to have even more put their hands up. Uh, we'll get, be going to the polls in... Um, uh, we'll be getting uh, having the election process wound up in September, October. Yeah, I've got I've got we'll, the I've got the dates here. I might just read them out again for for any mobbers yeah. listening. So, um, candidate nominations um, close if you want to be part of the um, the uh, First Nations representative body. Uh, those nominations close 4 p.m. on Friday, the 16th of August, and then you have um, a voting period from Monday, the 16th of September, to Sunday, the 20th of October. Um, the voting period has been um, extended back um, based on the feedback back to the um, Treaty Advancement Commission from from people in the community. So um, if you want to be involved in the process, there really is no excuse. You can just go to firstpeoplesvic.org if you want to um, enrol or nominate. And the First Peoples Assembly is, I mean, it's, it's, it's such a great opportunity. What, what the beginning and end of treaty... Um, It'll be up to us what we put on the table, whether it's a clan, whether it's individual clans, whether it's tribes and nations, whether it's a group of clans together, whether it's the whole 30, 38 plus mob together. Yeah. The reality is we can set up our own cultural authorities with this process. That means dispute settlement processes. That means um, potentially uh, black bums in Parliament. That'd be that'd be a beautiful thing. I mean, I think again, going back to what you were saying about how the governments, you know, come and go. It's, I'm always reminded of. Um, I know he's one of the most overquoted people on the face of the planet, but I'm always, you know, reminded of that Martin Luther King quote where um, he says, "The arc of the moral universe is long, but it bends towards justice." And I think as we go through this process, that's um, something we need to remember. That's right, and. For, for me, it's always been about you either stand up and be counted or you just stand on the side and shout. And um, I, I think that we need lots of our mob to put their hands up. We need lots of the mob to enrol. But we also need to remember that a treaty is, with, uh, is going to be with uh, non-Aboriginal people. Yep. And we need to bring them across the cultural abyss to see as much as they can the world through our lens and the injustices that we have faced, the injustices that we face now, but to hope together for a collective future that is about uh, creating a home for all of us, not just a monoculture. Yeah. Um, it's, it's, it's something that's never been done before, certainly in this country, and, you know, it's very rarely been done where treaty processes have been retrofitted elsewhere. Uh, it's, a, it's going to be a long and arduous uh, journey for, you know, I think the Aboriginal community initially. You're an expert in uh, lateral violence. Um, do you think there's a risk that 
you know, the process itself as passion has become, you know, as they continue to rise and rise and rise, that um, there's a risk of lateral violence within the community around this sort of stuff? Well, we're, we're a diverse people and we have diverse opinions. Not all of us bag for Collingwood, and I'm not sure Thank why God. that's the case. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, the reality is we're allowed to have disagreements. Um, lateral violence is... Um, it's a cunning bugger of a thing. It's like it puts a blanket over us as a people and doesn't let, let us have a collective uh, objective. The treaty process is uh, a collective objective. What's imperative for us is to put in place a dispute resolution process in our cultural shape to enable disagreement uh, to come to a point where we might agree to disagree, but we continue to agree with the, the objective. Um, so I think it has the potential, but I think that we're also an amazingly resilient and buoyant people. We bounce back from traumas. We bounce back from trauma continually. Um, we are resilient because we've ex not only survived, but we've achieved through a terrible cultural assault for over 200 years. So we've been smart. We've been able to navigate amazing trials and tribulations. And I see no reason why we can't create, develop and implement um, a process where we navigate um, the heinous thing called lateral violence and eventually eradicate it. I have great faith in our mob. Yep. Um, I know we've got many scars on our spirit, many scars in our soul, but we also have um, great tenacity. We're also very strong, we're resilient, we're smart, we're vivid people, we're artistic, creative, and we are also visionary. I have no doubt at all that we will overcome lateral violence. I have no doubt that one day we'll have black bums sitting in Parliament, and I have no doubt that we will... Um, have and establish cultural authorities that enable us to answer the problems that we face with our voice and our way. And we owe it, uh, we owe it to those that uh, came before us who uh, won't get to see the day. So, um, yeah, it's, uh, it's a serious business. Um, how far down the track are you with, uh, with the new film? Well, we went up and down for a bit. There's a lot of script discussions. Um, there's... Uh, we're chasing, um, developing the process for getting money. We had a look, uh, Rolf to here was involved at one stage and he had a look at a, a whole heap of locations. He's an amazing person. Tate Brady's been uh, the backbone of it and he's, um, he's the formula man. He knows how to create the formula for finance. A lot of it was uh, me hesitating as a director um, because the story's very close to me. Yeah. Um, but the way, I, the way I see it now, um, it's a story that has to be told. Um, I'm looking forward to putting on the director lens again. I'm hoping to do it later in the year or early next year. I reckon yeah, we're, we're close. The biggest, the hardest battle is uh, me um, accepting the fact that I, um, the story needs to be told, really. Yeah. settling on the story 
Yeah, no, these things um, are close to the bone. And I think that's another thing that, you know, a lot of people don't realise is that, uh, you know, telling these stories and being the storyteller often is um, incredibly challenging. So, um, you know, thank thank you for your efforts. And, and, you know, you obviously haven't revisited it for a long time because it, you know, may have taken a toll on you. But, um, you know, good on you for getting back into it. No worries. Thanks. Thank you. No worries. If you want to to see uh, Richard Franklin in conversation uh, tomorrow at the Sakilda Town Hall with uh, um, Lisa Mazza, sorry, my tongues are tied, Um, it starts at 7.45, adults $18, students $16. He'll be talking about his films, he'll be talking about NAIDOC Week. And uh, thank you very much for coming on the show uh, this evening, Richard. Much appreciated. No worries. I really enjoyed it. Cheers. Keep, keep up the great work. Thanks. See ya. Thanks. This is a podcast from Triple R, an independent media organisation in Melbourne, Australia. Triple R is listener supported radio and receives no direct government funding. If you would like to financially support Triple R by donating or becoming a subscriber, hit up rrr.org.au to find out how. If you want to do something good and feel warm and fuzzy and support independent radio and independent media, by all means, go to rrr.org.au and uh, subscribe. Um, even go to the mission if you want and uh, subscribe to this show. Show your support. That'd be magnificent. I was showing my support on uh, Sunday at uh, Victoria Park with uh, the Rock Dogs versus uh, the Megahertz. Classic game. Um, I haven't enjoyed a day at the football like that um, in such a long time. Uh, that grassroots feeling. I think there's so much the AFL could actually learn. I was um, standing out the front of uh, the uh, the Collingwood members, the classic scene where uh, Nicky Winmar raised his jumper and pointed at his skin and just reminded the, the, the racists in the crowd that he was Aboriginal and proud of it. I was thinking of doing the same thing myself, but um, my uh, pale blue skin would have just confused everyone. This is a podcast from Triple R, an independent media organisation in Melbourne, Australia. Triple R is listener-supported radio and receives no direct government funding. If you would like to financially support Triple R by donating or becoming a subscriber, hit up the Triple R website to find out how. My name is Daniel James and you're listening to The Mission. Um, just before we get to um, Uncle Bunner, who I've actually tracked down, he'll be on the phone, he won't be in studio, and um, I might ask him to explain the reason why. It's um, it's a good reason. <laughs> um, but um, before we get to uh, Uncle Bunner, I just wanted to mention, um, I think it was around episode three, I think, of, of, of this program, I think around about, yeah, the 28th of May, um, I spoke to the directors of a film called uh, Etched in Bone, which um, explores the theft and return of uh, human bones to Arnhem Land. Um, yep. Pleased to say that that film now is um, available on uh, SBS. So if you just go to SBS and uh, you can stream it there. So I thoroughly recommend it. it um, it's a, a moving tale and it shows uh, traditional culture, but it also shows how traditional culture can evolve to, to fit the, the means of the day. So do yourselves a favour. But now to our next guest. Now, what is often forgotten is that Aboriginal people are not only the traditional custodians of land around this place, but we also have been traditional custodians of water, fresh and salt, river, lake and sea. Uh, My ancestors and my next guest's ancestors knew all this um, and that these elements, of course, are inextricably linked. 
So when the Norwegian oil giant Equinor announced plans to drill a deep water oil well in the Great Australian Bight uh, by early 2020, the community, both black and white, stood up and took notice. And one of the leading opponents of the proposal to drill um, is Uncle Bunalori, a proud Murning Alder from his homelands uh, near the Nullarbor Plains. I'll get you to pronounce that in a sec, Uncle. <laughs> um, uh, uh, Uncle Bunner is passionate about his heritage and the preservation of traditional land and culture. Um, it was Bonner's drive uh, for the protection of the environment and its sacred uh, totem, the southern right whale, that has driven his fight against the plans to drill in the bite. Um, another thing about Uncle Bunner, he's also the founding member and lead singer of that iconic uh, band Coloured Stone, and we'll play a track of that after this. And um, he's with us now uh, on the line. Thanks for joining us, Uncle Bunner. How are you? Thank you for having me. Yes, it's good to be um, on radio and, uh, you know, letting the world know, you know, what really matters to us, you know, our planet at Mother Earth. So, uh, Absolutely. Look, uh, uh, you know, my... My responsibility and duty as a mourning, you know, songman, whale songman, elder, is very important to me, and not only me, but to my family, and to, to, to my children, my people, and my other elders who, you know, like I say, you know, our grandfathers and, you know, our forefathers and our ancestors have looked after this land for 120,000 years, and now it's, it, it is our responsibility and duty to carry on that, the responsibility and duty to, to care for and uh, to be the guardian of that land and to protect it, and, you know, like we... We treat it the way like we treat the land and the sea. The sea is very important to us. We treat the sea as our family and the whale as yourself, you know, our brother, sister, mother and father and grandfather. So it's a very important relationship that we have. And as you were talking about, you know, the people up in Arnhem and got the bones back. And, you know, that's just showing you really great. It's showing other people how Aboriginal law was kept in this country and how, how the law, laws were strict in, in the ways of, uh, you know, from uh, birth to birth to death, and um, how things were carried, and that's amazing. That's the same thing. You know, our people, we our, our law runs into the not only in the land but in the sea with the whales, and the, we believe that the whale is, is the law of the land, and they are the protectors. My mother used to say, you know, that they are, the whales are like the policemen of the sea. You know, and they they, they protect and uh, they look after the sea. They keep the law. If any other animals in trouble, they always go in there to break up the fight. You know, like <laughs> see how you know, and they do. You know, yeah. and, you know, I've seen it myself, and you know, if any sharks attacking a seal or or a dolphin in front of the shark, where the, the whale will go up and you know, scoot him off and say, you know, you don't do that, you know, you know t- teaching him a lesson. So you know, this is just how people are. But our nature is good manure, and good manure means um, uh, friendly. We're friendly people, and we're always helping people. And my, I'm really grateful that my grandmother, my mother, have taught me that and how to be grateful and thankful and how to respect other people and your neighbours and what's in front of you, behind us, around us, the animals, respect the animals and only take what you need, you know, in the time of survival or in the time of, um, in, in, in our habitats or in our hunting grounds and we'll just only take what we need to eat so that there's always plenty for, for the future generation to come and, and that's what we're trying to teach people today by stopping Equinor, you know, people like Equinor, you know, once their names were called Statoil before, they were involved in lots of other um, disasters around the world, oil spills. And, you know, when we we went to Norway, went to the headquarters in Sarvania, we had six Australian panelists, and I was the only Aboriginal person there representing, you know, Aboriginal people, and especially the whale people, you know, but also it was a good, good, um, um, good, good um, you know, session for me to be teaching other people about the whale and, you know, how our people look after the whale and how... Yeah. What the, what the whale meals was, but you know, it was just amazing going there because 
Yeah, I'll get, get you to touch on that um, in, a, in a second. Um, so yeah. Equinor is a Norwegian oil giant. They were formerly known as uh, Satoli. And um, what is also known about them is that in either version of their company, there's been 239 reported oil spills. Um, yeah, and, and 20 of those, were, 20 of those, would you believe that they've, they boasted and, uh, you know, really laughed about it that, you know, said we were proud of they dug 20 oil wells in the Arctic. Can you believe, can you believe and that yeah. we patched it up and we know how to block it up? You cannot, not, nobody, no Australians, no government people around the world have, have you know, covered up their mess that they've done. And whether it's a yearning mine or digging for coal or gas or whatever it was, nobody ever covered up their hole and it's all open. So they're mobilised. They said they'll, they'll patch it up and it's all safe. You know, that's, that's crap. I mean, you've kind of already, you know, answered the question, but maybe you can elaborate on it a little bit more. Um, you know, why why should we care um, from a cultural perspective what happens in the bite? I mean, I think most people uh, are very cognisant and aware of why uh, these things are, are risky for the environment. But from a cultural perspective, why should we care? Well... We care because we have, you know, cultural you know, connection. There's burial sites for the whales. There's burial sites for our people along the coast, in the sea, and before the sea was sea, and the land, land was land there. You know, our people, we, we have burial sites there. We have sacred sites there, like Woker, and we gather Woker there. We, we've gathered food there. We've hunted in there. We special places in the places when the seas have written. In the time of the seas was rising, and the whales came, and, and you know, you know, the whales are responsible for the for the rising of the seas and the tides. And, uh, you know, there's, there's, there's migration coming right through the centre where they want to, you know, they want to dig, dig their six kilometres of, uh, you know, three kilometres of bedrock to get, get down to the oil and three kilometres of really one of the pleasures, roughest oceans on planet. And it's really important to our people because, you know, it's our, it's our resource, our food source of food. And our connection to the land with the whales and, and the animals that live there, it's, it's, it's you know, it's... It's one of the most important things that's in, in the time, in the dream time. And there's a dream time uh, imprints of the whale that left me. And it's the story of the whale, the mythical, it's the mythology of the whale to, to man and, you know, with man and wife with, with the seven sisters. So it's people that don't really understand about the cosmos or the constellation or and which our people call, um, you know, our, home, our spiritual go to the homelands in the sky. People don't really get it all. Just let's go to Mars or let's go to the moon. They don't even know. They, they, because of their knowledge of They've got no connection to the earth or no totems. They don't know nothing. So they've got to learn from the Aboriginal man to know something. And when they do, you know, they get the credit. It's very, it, it's, you know, we're going to teach these people, and this is what my job is doing. I'm trying to teach people how to connect to the land and what the stories really mean and how important this great Australian bite to not only Aboriginal people there, but to us all along that coast. You're listening to uh, Triple R. It is 8 to 8. I'm speaking with uh, Uncle Bunalari about uh, his people's fight and his personal fight to um, prevent some uh, oil drilling happening in the uh, Great Australian Bight. Now, part of that fight, um, Uncle, you actually travelled to Norway to meet with um, Equinor executives. What, what did they have to say for themselves? Well, we, you know, the, the first one we had was we done the... We done the um, we done the paddle out, right? They got a big opera house there, you know, four times bigger than the Sydney Opera House, and it's all made of marble and, you know, granite and all the money they've made from oil. One of the flashiest opera house you've ever seen on this planet. But we had that, had that um, in the water, was, water was cold, and I blew the digits in the water, and we got out and we started talking to these five or six thousand people. We were, we were kids, and I sang this whale song, a couple of whale songs. And I said, hands up, who's. 
And Sabu's got shares in the Equinor, you know, the, for the oil expression around the planet for, you know, to find minerals. And um, so you, you, how you make your money out of your share. And, and you know what? All of them. And I said, well, I told them straight out. I didn't care what they said. I said, you, you, I said you're receiving blood money. And it was that reason because also the, the oil spills are killing all marine life. Whales are dying just as we talk every minute. And, you know, I said, they've got families like that. And, you know, people started crying and now... Uh, and it's it was awakening for us to go there, but Ekwono's headquarters is about eight eight hours away from Oslo, which is a train ride for right. us. And uh, we we faced uh, we faced Ekwono. We went to the Ekwono headquarters, and there was something like a, about a couple, maybe two three thousand people in there, you know. And, and the governing body was sitting right up in the top, and six seven of them, the CEO was there, the chairman was there, and the lady was there. Everybody that got up and spoke, spoke. They were just looking looking at them and grinning and laughing, and you know. And that just like it is fun, and they admitted it. You know, we dug twenty oil oil wells in, in the Arctic, and it's all safe. And yeah, blah, blah. And then I got up and I said, "Look, I said consultation is very important in, in, in the country, but you know, you never consult the Aboriginal people, especially my people, the whale people. And we, we are the traditional owners of the whole sovereignty. We have, you know, special um, connection to the land with the whales, and you know, it's our family. And I said, uh, I said, our people have looked after them." That country, that sea, that, the whale nursery and the whale sanctuary for 120,000 of years. And it's beautiful today and it still is, you know, and we want to be able to keep it like that. And for people like you to come down here you know, to, to try and try and, um, to change that, you know, I said, you're not welcome down here. You're not welcome. No, any any oil company at all. You know what? Their head drops straight down on the table, head, head down. So the, um, the, the, the fire can... Fight continues. Um, the fight continues. The fight continues. They've got Nopsima going out there. Supposed to be today or yesterday that they was waiting on a report from Nopsima. Yep. Who are acting was paid to go out there and say that there's no risk here. There's no whales here. There's no whale sensory there. There's there's nothing there. There's nothing there. But you know what they've done? They've bribed people in Sajuna, Port Lincoln, oyster farmers, and promising them a good you know good future. Yeah. You know. The usual you know, the usual line. Upgrading all the the, the old airports in Sejuna and Fallas Bay, upgrading, and it's totally wrong what they're doing because, you know, it's a criminal offence what they're doing because they're telling people's lies. And not only that, you know, they've already contributed to the climate change and, and, you know, contributing to the deaths of whales. I mean, thousands of whales are dying week after week. Unfortunately, um, uh, unfortunately, uh, we've, we've, we've run out of time. Um, yeah. But if people want to read about the fight, go to um, uh, NITV. There's an, there's an excellent article called Latest Oil Giant with plans to drill and bite, alleged to have not consulted with local First Nations people. And um, yeah. if, if you want to... Um, it, is the last, it, it, is the last pla- it is the last beautiful, pristine place on this planet. I'm, I'm telling you right now. So we, 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 we have to stop them right now. Well, best yeah. of luck to you, Ankh. Um, yeah. And um, look, after your, look after your arm, eh? Your arm. Um, you, uh, yeah, no worries. Cat scratch. <laughs> Thank, you. Thank, you. Thank you. No worries. Take care. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Triple R's The Mission, a weekly radio show exploring the issues that impact the lives of Aboriginal people and those at the wrong end of social justice in this country. The Mission is broadcast live on Triple R every Tuesday evening. Hope you've enjoyed the podcast and feel free to get in touch via the Triple R website. <laughs>